Welcome to Freedom to Choose from Just As I Am Ministries, a nonprofit providing hope to those caught in the devastation of addiction or who are searching for a better way to live. In this series, The Life, you'll study the life of Jesus. Who is he? What is he really like? Does he care about me? Rich and Susan Collenberg are a husband and wife team who found freedom over two decades ago from their lives of drug addiction and alcoholism. They found biblical answers and now share their experience of freedom on Freedom to Choose. Hello, everyone. My name is Rich Collenberg. And my name is Susan Collenberg. And we would like to welcome you once again to Freedom to Choose uh, on the series The Life. And this is program number 38. And the title, uh, my favorite phrase in the Bible, neither do I condemn thee. Why is it your favorite? It is my favorite title because I can remember I can remember laying face down, screaming at the top of my lungs for God to help me because I had been addicted for 24, 25 years. And I got this sense that everything was going to be all right and what was in the past was in the past. And I was going to have to wrestle with that on my own, but God was not going to condemn me for it. In fact, I got a sense of of relief that I was forgiven for it. I hadn't I had never opened a Bible in my life. I had ran from God and knew it. Mm-hmm. I had never seeked out any religion whatsoever. Didn't know what the word Genesis meant. Mm-hmm. That's how biblically illiterate I was and how much I had run from God. But yet something came over me and it was basically that phrase, neither do I condemn you. You're having a rough enough time with your head on your own, Rich. I don't need to condemn you. And this story, of course, is about um, the woman that was caught in adultery. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we get going, let's say a word of prayer, because, man, I just love this story. I relate it to you. I relate it to me. I, I relate it to all the women that are in, that we work with in prison. It is just It just tells me that God is really who I think he is. Right. You let's, know? let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for um, the gift of your message in your Bible and how you have communicated to us um, in words and in actions of about who you are and how you deal with broken people. And so we just pray that you'll give us the right words and the right thoughts today as we communicate um, about your love to everybody who's listening. Thank you once again in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, isn't it kind of interesting? At the core of our being, we want God to deal real roughly with everybody else, but right. we want him to be real gentle with us. Right. And we can see it, the evil in others, yeah, but never in our own and, hearts. And yeah, so we want to pull out a Bible text and say he's going to nail him for that. Right. Right? But with me, we're going to pull out another Bible text and say he's, he's kind and gentle. He's going to forgive you. He's going to forgive yeah. me, see? And so we see this why, sto- So why is that? Why do we as human beings... And we're able to um, call judgment out on others, but never on ourselves. Well, we have to be told not to do that, too. Right. You know, God, he says, pull the beam out of your own eye. Right. You know, right. do we so do, there, do you know? Like Solomon says, there's nothing new under the nothing sun. Nothing new under you the know, sun. What was done today is going to be done tomorrow. Yeah. And, and so Jesus understood that and came and gave us a witness 
to how to treat people correctly because he knew we were going to do it wrong. The ego is very cunning. Man, humanity, right? The ego is very cunning. It will tell you it's okay mm-hmm. when you see a splinter in someone else's eye to call them out for whatever reason. Right. You know, do we don't want blood on our hands. We it's my duty to do, and the ego is very cunning. Mm-hmm. And yet it still is an effort um, and I, I can't judge every situation, but I know I can judge my situation with me when I'm moving myself up the egotistical food chain. I start looking <laughs> at other people and, and man, when I look at other people, I don't look too bad to myself. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. when I see the faults of other people. Yeah, that's yeah. The, that ego is very cunning. Right. And so we have to, uh, in, in my case, I have to be aware that hold on, mm-hmm. I've done worse or even worse or even worse right. than that. And right. if I haven't, that's still at the core of my being. Right. And I think, you know, it's, you know, we were saying there's nothing new under the sun. And I know that um, when I was, when I was raised or even the the characters that I um, cultivated as I grew up were those characteristics, right? And you can look throughout the Bible yeah. and you can see God's people, you know, always looking at other people and seeing the sin in them, but never the sin in us. And so I think it's one of those human, the um, a deranged human attribute that we pick up to, um, you know, to make ourselves not look as bad. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And, 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 we find biblically because I, this story, this which is my favorite story in the in the Bible, uh, about the woman that's caught in uh, caught in adultery and she's drugged to Jesus by the Pharisees, most and, likely and, without clothes on. Yeah, right? I mean, well, yeah, when you're caught in adultery, what are you wearing? When you're set up and, and, and caught in yeah, adultery, right? And see the and this story runs parallel to Adam in the garden. It runs parallel to Paul on his horse on the road to Damascus. It runs parallel to. To Joseph and his 12, uh, 12 brothers, it runs, par- it runs parallel to ev- ev- the way God treats people when he's trying to win their hearts. To David. To David. After his sin Yeah, Nathan comes to David and, right. and tells him a story about, right. you know, some a guy, shepherd a shepherd and a, a, a ewe lamb, right. right? And so God has always been the God that says, what's up, Adam? Where are you? Right. He's not asking where he's at physically. Where are you spiritually? Why are you why are you disconnected? Mm-hmm. Have you eaten from the tree that I told I, I asked you not to? Right. Have you done something that has caused you grief in your mind? That has that made you afraid of me. Now you're afraid of right. me. Paul, have you done something that has caused you grief in your mind? It's hard to go against your conscience, isn't it, Paul? Mm-hmm. Why are you persecuting Paul? Mm-hmm. With this gentle voice. Peter, you're, go- Peter. you're going to deny me. You're no, gonna... I'm not going to deny you, Jesus. And he so then Jesus washes Peter's feet mm-hmm. anyway, mm-hmm. looks into his eyes with those loving eyes, and lets Peter do what he needs to do. And Judas and, as and well. And Judas as well. Right. So God has always been the same with that. Um, trying to draw us trying away to from draw... our sin and into restoration Into with restoration him. with him. And so, so here we have these Pharisees, and they're they're accusing and they're uh, uh, this woman of violating the seventh commandment, and they push her at Jesus's feet, and of course, with their hypocrisy, they say Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? 
Right. And so beneath their pretended reverence was this deep laid plot to trap Jesus once one once again. They had taken this opportunity to nail down his condemnation, thinking that whatever decision he might make, they would find a way to accuse him one way or another. One way or they, another. Yeah. yeah. They, if he quits this, the woman This is their perfect plot to Oh, to they've trap got him, him now. They've right. got him now, you know. If he quits the woman, then he could be charged with breaking the law of Moses. If he condemns her to death, then he's taken Caesar's place, so they got him. Right. And Jesus looks for a moment upon the whole scene with the trembling victim in her shame, the hard-faced dignitaries devoid of even human pity, his spirit of stainless purity shrank from the spectacle. And Jesus, you know, as as he looks around and, he, and he's reading the hearts and the character of the life history of everyone in his presence— um, he knew they led her into sin. He knew they were going to lay a snare for him. And so giving no sign that he had heard their question, what does he do? He stoops, and looking at the ground, he begins to write in the dust. Right, and impatient at his delay and apparent indifference, all of the accusers drew nearer, urging the matter upon Jesus' attention. But as their eyes follow, following those of Jesus fell upon the pavement at his feet, their facial expressions changed. Oh, you can imagine what have been there. Because we can assume now, as many Bible scholars have, that he was tracing, he was writing their sins in the dust. Because the constant context, of course, is he was free of sin, right? Right. And so he's writing in the dust, and he's he's and, and they're all looking at that. So. Really, the interesting part is, is that he's not, he doesn't engage. He doesn't play their game. Right. He's not calling them out. He's not making accusations, nope. personal accusations. Even, even though anybody. he knows their character, right. he knows what they're doing, he could pull their covers right there in front of everybody. He doesn't he do it. He protects their reputation. Right. While they're, you know, demolishing her reputation. Yeah, at her expense, or trapping him at her expense. Right, and so with all their um, the professions of the reverence for the law, these rabbis begin to charge this woman, and they were disregarding um, the conditions. It was the husband's duty to take action against her, and the guilty parties were to be punished equally. The action of the accusers were totally unauthorized. Jesus, however, met them on their own ground. The law specified that in punishment, in punishment by stoning, the witness in the case should cast the first stone. So Jesus rises up, he looks at the elders, and he says, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. And stooping down, he continues to write on the ground. Right. He hadn't ignored the law given through Moses, nor infringed upon the authority of Rome. The accusers had been defeated. Now their robes of pretended holiness torn from them. They stood guilty and condemned in the presence of infinite purity. Now, as, as we know, they leave one by one. The, the part in, in this whole story that kind of really amazes me is God has a way of letting you know you've done something wrong mm-hmm. without exposing you. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Without, I mean, without, exp- so he basically, he pulls their covers in the middle of a crowd. 
He, in other words, God is so brilliant and has such a heart and such a character that he can actually run off your enemies without exposing them. Right. They can see their sinfulness without him exposing exactly. their sinfulness. Exactly. So God so in other words, Jesus is what he's what God is trying to do here and he and he just is the same thing he tried to do with Judas. He washed his feet in an effort. God is always making the effort to win us. Right. No matter what. Right. And he's, I'm sure it was Jesus's hopes that one of those Pharisees would have knelt down right next to him and said, I'm sorry I was wrong. Right. In doing this. I am a sinner too. I'm a sinner too. Right. You know, Paul, when he got knocked off his horse, could have refused Ananias coming. Right. He could have refused to go and humble himself and hook up with all the, the, with who they called the way back then. Right. He could have refused to do that. Mm-hmm. He could have went back and hardened his heart more. Right. Right? But right. he followed the voice of God as humbling as an experience as that was. Because think about it. He had he had marching orders from the Sanhedrin. Right. He was, he was a big shot. He was the number one guy, right? Yeah, he was a big shot. And now he had to lower himself and say, I was wrong. Right. And see, these Pharisees would have had to have said, I'm so sorry, I was wrong. And I'm not sure if if these people were some of the same people that saw Jesus crucified, and because I think that the Bible says that many were one. Well, yeah, they were one to, after the whole— After everything was over, when yeah. Jesus was um, dead on the cross and had risen again, that there were many that many, came and, and, and came Pentecost believed. and all that stuff. Right. That Yeah, so a lot of—it wasn't—the it, it, day he was crucified, he looked like he was the loser of the day. Right. You know, being jeered by everybody and finger pointed at and screamed, come down off the cross. But later on, there was so many people that were converted, so many people that, and and a lot of the Jews were. And so I think that that can be of a good good help for us as we go through our lives, for us personally, but also as we see somebody who maybe is struggling or lost in sin or what what appears to be lost in sin is that... Everything in in a person's life, unless they've grieved away the Holy Spirit, which is a big deal, God is always intervening to try to draw them back. Just like you and I, we were lost, hopeless, broken, and from the looks, from the human looks, there was no opportunity for us to ever even come out of our addiction, let alone have our minds intact, what somewhat. Somewhat intact. Somewhat intact. But you know what? God's way is that slowly but surely he intervenes on everyone's behalf all the time to try to help to restore us Everything back. he does is restorative. Absolutely. Give him time. Right. And so, you know, you know, I've got people in my life that are out there and that may, you know, that I'm afraid for them, that I'm, you know, that I pray for them and I desire for them to have everything that I have. And it just doesn't look like they're making those choices, but it doesn't mean that God ever yeah, stops. It doesn't you know? mean God stops or, or that it's not working. Right. And exactly. That's the thing. Right. The, what we think might not, because it's, it's even in your own life. Right. Okay, I'm not changing quick enough. It doesn't right. mean God's not working. Right. And I'm sure that those Pharisees, when they brought that woman down and they threw her down because she had committed adultery, they're thinking she's condemned and a sinner. But in reality, God was working through that to save her. To save that, her that and them. And them, exactly. And so I think that um, we need to draw courage and faith and trust in the Lord that even if we don't see through our human, human eye 
that people are being changed, that God is doing everything that he can to to restore humanity. He can, yeah, he can take a bad situation. I think of the story of Joseph and his brothers throw him in the well. Right. And then they send him and he ends up going to Egypt and then he ends up he's working. He's a slave. His, he's a slave and he works his way up the food chain. The next thing you know, he's back in the dungeon. Uh, he, he goes, yeah. And then the next thing you know, he's second in command in Egypt. Right. And he and then the children of Israel come down and he's able to actually God converts all of his brothers through this whole thing. Right. And then they have a place during the famine of 7 years to stay. Right. So and and Joseph says to his brothers, out of all of this bad, all of this evil, God has brought something good. Right. So remember when stuff is going bad and like it just, seems right now, just keep in saying, life, right? yeah, say, keep saying, out of all of this evil, God will bring something good. Right. It's it, all the way through the Bible. You know, the thorn in the flesh that that Paul had. I firmly believe that was his memory of all those women and children and men that he had harmed as he was a Pharisee going after the followers of Christ. And he prayed to God, take this thorn out of my flesh and God Relieve me of this. Relieve me of, of this. Anguish. And God said, right. Oh, you know, he did it three or four times and God says, I'll hear I'll hear no more of it. This is what makes you who you are. And and, and so that's part two is that you know what? And I think I'm beginning to experience it now, even though I didn't fully experience the consequences of my choices in my lifestyle as a drug addict, I experience them now. And I think that that's what he was trying to tell Paul. You know, you did these things. I can't take can't away change history. that from you, right? It's something that it, that it makes you who you are today. Right. And so the consequences, though we may not experience them right away, whether they, if they're bad choices, God's, you know, universe is that consequences do have their results so it's just like if you if you think you have hidden sin you don't because that that sin it's still is, in play right is still causing the damage it's still causing the damage right yeah. and we, and the fear and the anger and the hate that causes damage inside our brains even though we we may hide it or whatever we have resentments and anger or whatever it may be it's changing us it's changing us it, biologically. You know, we've said before on this program, if you're thinking angry thoughts, you're teaching your brain to become an angry brain. Right. If you're thinking vengeful thoughts, you're th- teaching your brain to become a vengeful brain. And, and and you can't just snap out of it because you're, you're training. Your, chemist- your, yeah, yeah, your you- chemistry won't allow you to. Exactly. Your brain chemistry, the structure of your brain it will actually change based on the way you think, the way you behave, and your picture of God. Right. We'll be so much in, we would have dug so much of a trench. A rut. A rut in our minds that there's no way to jump out of it. Other than God knocking you off your exactly. horse. Which is what happened to David, which was what happened to Paul, which had which what happened to Peter after he didn't. Which happened to me when I got arrested over and over again. God will knock you off right? your horse, but... We can also be like Saul. He knocked him off his horse, and Saul did not respond. Right. There's many that didn't. And King Saul. King Saul. Yes. You, there's many in the Bible that did not respond to that spirit of God, and their pride overtook them, their ego overtook them, and that's they, the way they, they, they right. remained with a hard heart. So let's go back to the woman, because now Jesus has run off her accusers one right. by one, which is very godlike. In other words, not pulling your covers, but yet... It's God will he got rid of her enemies right without exposing them if right. you will okay but he so, still had to you know she still had to be 
cared for. She had to be dealt right? with. Yeah, yeah, she's she's down there. She's waiting for rocks to hit her, right? Right. And so Jesus rose up and he looks at the woman. He says, woman, where are those who accuse you? Where are the ones that condemned you? And she said, there is no one, Lord. They're gone. That's amazing. There's right. no one. Right. And so she is where she needs to be, at the foot of Jesus. Now, what's he going to say to that? Is he going to say, yeah, you've been a bad girl, yeah, la, la, la. No, neither do I condemn you. Just go be a better girl. Right. Just go be a better. Past is a past. We can't change that. Right. Let's move on from that. And all of a sudden, her concept of God changed dramatically. Right. And she, uh, go ahead. Right, because she was in a state where she was awaiting her doom. Yeah. And in astonishment, after Jesus spoke, or he didn't speak, he just wrote it in the in the dust, she sees him leave one by one, and then he says, I don't condemn you. And her heart was melted, and she cast herself at the feet of Jesus, and sobbing, grateful love, and with bitter tears, confessing her sin. It's uh, amazing. It's the beginning of a new life. Right. Right? And of course, does that happen to you? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and all of a sudden, you've got this new best friend. Right. And it, and it's... it's That can tell us the truth. Tell you the truth about yourself without smashing you in the face with right. it. Exactly. Right, exactly. You know, um, there's... So, so when the, the act of pardoning the woman and encouraging her to live a better life, the character of Jesus shines forth in the beauty of perfect righteousness and why he doesn't approve of sin or lessen the sense of guilt, he pursues us, not to condemn us, but to save us. Exactly. He's, the, the Bible says the Son of Man comes, comes not to condemn, but to save. Everything God does is always restorative. Right. The world only had contempt and scorn for this little woman. But Jesus speaks, work, speaks words of comfort and hope. He pities the weakness of the sinner and reaches out with a helping hand, while we, the hypocritical Pharisees, will denounce. God's going to offer restoration. We're going to offer condemnation, right? right? Mm-hmm. Men hate the sinner while they love the sin. Christ hates the sin but loves the sinner. We're backwards. Right. We're backwards. Christian love is, to, is slow to censure and quick to discern penitence, ready to forgive, ready to encourage, Ready to set anyone who's off the path back on the path. That's what Christian love does. Right, and that's really the spirit of of, him, of God. Yeah, in working through humanity. When the spirit of God is withdrawn, it doesn't mean that God says, I'm pulling back. It means that we've rejected him. Right. And there's no, there's no avenue for him to get to other people because, you know— the spirit of, you've seen the He's spirit of God. It's been kicked out. It's been kicked out. It's we, we've rejected it. Talk to the hand. I'm no longer interested. And and um, it's 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 sad mm-hmm. when the heart gets hard and can no longer hear. You know, the Bible says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Whatever. What happened was God was trying to show Pharaoh how worthless his gods were. Mm-hmm. Pharaoh worshipped the Nile. God turned the Nile to blood. Said, so. So I wonder, is God trying to show us how worthless this world is right how worth, now? Yeah, you know and what how I mean? worthless everything that we're, material possessions. that we're grasping for right. is not going to change our hearts. Right. Turn us into loving people. Only eternal things. Only thinking about the big picture and our picture of God and that he wants to restore each one of us individually. 
He wants to work in our he lives. Wants, and, and he wants to restore us and every single person we know. Everyone we know. So remember, God is working in your heart, but he's also working in your enemy's heart. Absolutely. He wants that person just as bad as he wants you. Absolutely. That's why Jesus said, love your enemies. Do, do not return evil with evil. Return evil with good. Right. It'd be like pouring heaping coals of fire on them. You know, it's just that's how God is. You know, when your conscience burns, it's God's truth working on you when you've done something wrong. Right. It's just how the Spirit of God works. So let's embrace that Spirit, especially in these troubled times. Let's pray for everyone. Let's look for the good in people. Let's search out and find common ground and look for the good in others. Let's help. Let's reach out. Let's find things to volunteer to help people because it's the only way we're going to get through these tough times. It's not by condemning. Folks, got to wrap it up. Give us a call, 916-645-1297. We have resources. Uh, Susan will ship out uh, books for you. Could it be this simple, the workbook? And remember, folks, there's only two ways to live your life. One is like nothing is a miracle. The other is like everything is a miracle, and you have the freedom to choose. Do I love my neighbor? Do I love them? Can I feel his pain and his need? Thank you for listening to Freedom to Choose. There is truly hope for people whose lives seem to be overrun with problems, unhealthy relationships, or even imprisoned by some form of addiction. Rich and Susan Kallenberg are living testimonials that biblical principles do work. They've authored resources available to move those you love toward freedom. If you'd like to order the Addiction Recovery Workbook, Seven Steps to Freedom, or the book, Could It Be This Simple, The Way Out of Your Prison? Please call Rich and Susan at 916-645-1297 or go to justasiamministries.com. As a nonprofit, they are supported by people like you. 916-645-1297 or justasiamministries.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you.